It was the shortest visit I've ever had. It was, uh, oh, you are with Focus? Well, get the hell out of my office. I never want to talk to you again. I have never been so disrespected. And that's it. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Today's guest is Evan Wilsoncroft with Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Evan was born and raised in Kansas and attended Kansas State University. Upon graduation, he began missionary work with Focus for three years and then took a full-time job with Focus as a philanthropy officer. He recently finished his MBA with a concentration in Catholic philanthropy from the University of Mary. Evan now works for Focus as the philanthropy and alumni engagement senior officer. He lives in Fort Worth, Texas with his wife and two young children. Evan and I met about three years ago, and I have always been impressed by his success at Focus. He is extremely funny and had me laughing as I was editing this episode. Evan offers a wealth of experience, encouragement, and humor in this episode. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks so much for being on the show, Evan. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, so one of the things you just referenced before we got on the air is how one of the reasons you've been working in philanthropy for all of your career, essentially, is you love it so much. And I found a lot of people uh, struggle with the idea of loving working in fundraising and doing major gifts. So tell me about why is it, why is it enjoyable to you? I don't know if it's uh, from the way I got introduced to fundraising and philanthropy um, or there, there's other factors that could be playing in, but I started by raising my own support as a Catholic missionary on college campuses. And uh, through raising my own support, I really loved the engagement with my friends and family because I was fundraising from people that I knew. And I was able to share with them the mission that I was on and invite them into that mission with me and then report back to them on how their support was having an impact. And I just really loved that whole relationship that was built uh, around a gift. And from there, I started to teach the uh, other missionaries how to do their own support raising. And then that led to a a role on the uh, philanthropy team doing major gifts. And then I was fundraising with people I'd never met before and didn't know my name. And uh, that was a great uh, experience early on. It was hard. It wasn't easy. But as I got better and and honed my skills, it really uh, was the same experience I was having with my friends and family, uh, with people all over the country, being able to engage them in our mission and and build a relationship with them that was something that uh, I, I find life-giving. One of the things you mentioned was reporting back to benefactors and you know showing them the gift that you gave had an impact. I know you weren't prepared for this one, but can you think of any story in particular of a time where you a benefactor gave a gift to focus and then you reported something back to them about what happened with their gift. And that uh, was a positive experience for the benefactor or led to increased giving or something like that. Yeah. I can think of a a specific of a a gentleman uh, in Houston. So he was a referral that had never given any kind of gift at all. And I think he took the meeting because uh, he knew the person that uh, we knew in common. And so he uh, said yes to the meeting and I shared our mission with him and he was you know, excited about it and said he'd give a gift and he decided to give a thousand dollars that day. And I was incredibly surprised because this is, you know, you don't get a gift on every first visit, but uh, you know, it was an initial one that got the ball rolling. And I uh, reported back to him 
on uh, how we were doing and stewarding that gift and using it. And one year later, I went back and asked him if he'd consider uh, an increased gift. And uh, he decided uh, to give $15,000 one year later. And uh, he was so impressed with uh, just the communication and the effectiveness of uh, what we were communicating back to him and showing him how his gift was being used to further our mission uh, had played a huge impact. The other thing you mentioned in that story is you you mentioned it came about through a referral. And can you talk about how you found referrals to be helpful? Because I think a lot of people listening, they they don't understand the value of referrals and sometimes don't know how to go about asking for them or how could, so could you just speak about what that process has looked like for you? Yeah, I've found referrals to be uh, really great visits uh, because uh, what, what I've done is I've visited with someone. I'm sometimes I ask for referrals uh, on the first visit. Sometimes you ask on a more established relationship. And so I found a uh, referral ask, uh, especially on an established relationship, really uh, another way to, one, involve that benefactor deeper in the mission, uh, deeper in getting involved with your organization by asking them to uh, consider who they know that would be passionate about what we're doing. And it allows them the opportunity to then be an advocate for our organization And uh, I then invite them to introduce uh, me and the referral and uh, via email or a phone call or in person, kind of let them tell me what they're comfortable with. And I let them make the introduction. And I will even provide sometimes a a script or a uh, form like, hey, here's what I would say. Here's a great way to introduce it. And uh, then I kind of take that initial introduction and introduce myself a little bit further and uh, ask for the visit. And uh, what's great is that you already have that, that trust and that uh, credibility built up before your first visit because they have had someone that they trust and find credible to go and advocate for you. And so I have found that referral visits are, are really awesome. And, and you can kind of just jump into uh, a lot of uh, fun conversation right away because you don't have to spend more time uh, building that trust because it's already there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wonderful. And one thing I'll kind of focus on. So, I think a lot of times what we what we don't realize is referrals don't just happen. Just like gifts don't just happen because the benefactor is just sitting around all day wondering how they can help your organization. They happen because you ask for them specifically. So can you can you tell me, I mean, what exactly does it look like when you ask someone for a referral? How does it come about? What do you say to them? Um, ah, great question. Like you were saying, if you don't ask, they're not going to just think of it. And so even sometimes I'll, I'll take it a little bit further. Um, I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. Uh, but to bring it up, uh, it's kind of in, in conversation of, I know you're passionate about what we do, and I'd love to just share our mission with others who are uh, maybe not uh, as knowledgeable about what we do, but would have the same passion. Do you, can you think of anyone that would be uh, that I should meet with to share this mission with? And and sometimes the, they'll say, I don't know, I, I, maybe, I don't know, I'll think about it. And I think sometimes it just takes that one additional question of, of, well, if, if, you know, do you know anyone in your family or in any other organizations or are you asking a further question of, uh, that kind of gets a little more specific into pointing them to think of specific people. Do you serve on a board with someone is a great question. If you know that they do serve on a board or, uh, are, is there someone at your church or, uh, in some kind of club or community you're a part of. And so asking that additional question helps the benefactor get the gears turning. And I always try to make sure that I don't put the pressure on. I say, you don't, you don't have to give me an answer today, but I'd love for you just to think about it. And then that kind of uh, 
helps relieve the, the pressure of them having to make up someone right away or come up with a name right away. And then oftentimes they'll still offer that a name or two or three within that conversation, but just kind of relaxing that, uh, the ask of a referral is, is uh, helpful. And I think back to, back to what you said about being specific is really helpful. And even, even things like asking for a specific number of referrals can be helpful too. So it's same thing. Instead of just asking someone, I'd like you to consider a gift to focus. You're much more likely to get a gift. If you say, I'd like you to prayerfully consider a gift of $10,000 to focus. Cause now it's specific. Now it's more of a yes or no kind of thing. And same thing with who's, who's one person you can think of that you think would want to know more about focus and things like that help people. It, it narrows it down. It takes some of the weight of, Oh, well now I'm, does he want 50 referrals or what's he looking for? And so I think that's, that's important. Something else that I've done that has been a great tool for me is I have a list of people that I have not yet met, but I would like to meet. And I know that they are in a certain city and I don't know for a fact that one of our major benefactors knows them personally, but there's a high likelihood they've, they've met each other or maybe even our best friends. So what I'll do is I'll take a list of like 10 or 12 names to one of our visits. And I'll say, you know, I'm trying to get in touch with these 10 to 12 people. Is there anyone on this list you could introduce me to? And that's another great way of asking for referrals because it takes the pressure off of them to have to, to come up with a, a name and then a phone number and then an email. And if you provide that list of here's people I want to visit, uh, sometimes totally struck out. Sorry, don't know anyone. I can't help you. But other times, uh, it's led to some awesome, awesome visits. That is amazing. That is one of the greatest tips you can use for getting referrals. If you bring a list to somebody and they can look on there, and I mean, you'll you'll be amazed. It's exactly what Evan's saying. The the type of people, whatever your circle is for for focus, it's Catholic people or whatever your group is, if you go into a city with a list of wealthy, philanthropic Catholics, they, most of them know each other. And so providing that list makes it very actionable. Um, so that's, that's amazing. So tell me about, uh, I kind of took us into some specific things because referrals are, are so amazing, but tell me about one of your favorite stories, uh, in your time as a philanthropy officer that kind of highlights why you, why you love this type of work? There's a lot of stories. Uh, I think one of them is, uh, happened a year ago. <clears throat> so I, there's this couple who had supported focus previously, but hadn't lapsed in their giving and had not, uh, given in three or four years. And when I started working in the territory of Texas, uh, I was, you know, assigned there uh, as their prospect manager and was trying to get in contact with them. And, and we touched base over the phone, via email, via text, but I could just never get a visit ever. And, and, and they, you know, they were busy and I, honestly, I just thought they were blowing me off. Like they haven't given in three or four years. They say they like what we do and they want to meet eventually, but they're just not uh, taking the time to visit with me. So I was like, I thought I was doing something wrong and, and I uh, wasn't sure if they were actually busy or if it was just an excuse uh, to not visit with me because they, they knew what I uh, was the purpose of our visit. And so it was, I think it was about a year and a half of me emailing and having conversations. I mean, we would talk on the phone, but just couldn't get a visit. And then I get a call out of the blue and they say that they want to, uh, me to come down and they have a gift ready to give focus. And I was like, well, I got, I got the visit and already the, the gift is coming in. So I, this is a win-win. And, and uh, they ended up giving a very generous six figure gift. Um, and uh, they, they, you know, it was a very uh, great conversation and they realized that they hadn't been able to meet with me. Um, it's just because they were uh, truly busy and working very hard and uh, obviously uh, working to be able to make such a generous gift. Um, but I think I was right at my, my breaking point of like, man, am I wasting my time 
And, uh, and because I kept investing in that relationship, it, it did bear fruit in a, in a gift. Uh, even though it's not your typical, you know, here's how you go steps one, two, three to, to uh, get a gift. Uh, I think that uh, that's one of my favorite uh, gifts to receive because of uh, the uniqueness of how that relationship was built. That's incredible. I love the stories of people sticking with it for a long time because most, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who will, you know, I reached out to this person twice and they never responded. So I guess they just don't care about us. And it's, it's, it's not that it's these, these people are very busy. And, and even if they're not, it's like the, the number of requests we all get for different different things, whether it's to buy life insurance or start investing or update your will or whatever, there's always these requests coming in. And so for something to, uh, to take priority and place it on the calendar and go and meet somebody, it takes time. And so I congratulate you for sticking with it for that long. And that's, that's exciting. Yeah. Thanks. No, it's, it's so true that sometimes I'll call people and they say, I don't want to meet with you ever. And it's like very clear that they are like, don't call me again. Uh, but uh, as uh, one of my mentors in development says, uh, no is a slow yes. And unless they tell you, heck no, never, um, just continuing to soldier forward uh, and never giving up on someone and saying no for them is really important. Uh, because it's easier for us to say no for people than it is sometimes for them to say no uh, for us. But one of the things you said was you were wondering, do they they say they care about us, but maybe they just don't want to meet with me and that kind of thing. And a lot of times we as development professionals have a feeling of we'll, we'll get these negative thoughts of like, well, it must be because I sent them this email and they didn't respond. So I must've, I must've said something that they got upset by, or I didn't, I didn't put a comma in the right spot. And now they think I'm an idiot. And and we, we just think all of these reasons as to why they're not. And exactly what you said, you can never assume that the prospect or the benefactor doesn't want to meet with you unless they explicitly tell you that. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's keep going. There's, there's someone I similar to that story, I don't have the positive outcome just yet, but there's someone it took me six years to get a visit scheduled with this person. And I was I was coming back from Midland and I decided to give him I was like, you know what? Seven o'clock at night, I'm just gonna give him a call and see what happens. And he answers. And one of the things he said to me was, I admire your persistence. And we got the visit scheduled. And then the Corona situation came down and the day we were supposed to meet was, well, it's a long story, but he, it was a very, very bad time for this person. And so now we're, (laughs) now we're postponed again, but uh, we'll see what happens in the future. But it's that kind of persistence that leads to those types of gifts coming in over time. Yeah. It's so true. And, and you could, you had many opportunities, I'm sure to give up on that relationship or move past it. And yeah, it's, I think it's so important to, to make sure that, uh, you know, they may not be the the top of the list of someone you're going to contact every day. Uh, but as as far as, you know, still trying, uh, I have another story very similar to that one. Uh, there's this, this gentleman who had given, several major gifts and was ready for a very, a very large increased ask. This was all before I started. And so uh, anyways, it went sour, not good. One of my first, one of the first visits I went on uh, working in Texas was to go visit this guy and, and uh, just is a stewardship, just how you doing. And we got cussed out of his office and told never to come back and wanted nothing to do with us. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is this is not a good start. And um, that's been three years ago. And we actually went back. And uh, I know 
and maybe I'm just crazy, but we went back uh, because he was uh, a great major benefactor and we knew that he uh, liked the mission and he had capacity. It's just something went wrong in the relationship. And so we had to start over square one and rebuild the relationship. And uh, it was really exciting here in uh, the end of this last calendar year here, just three months ago, he told us that he, he's like, I need to make another major gift to you guys and get back on giving to you. So it took three years to re totally rebuild a relationship. Um, but uh, it was awesome. It's, it's like, it was like, and I, I, I honestly, like I am surprised that he's back uh, on board to support us. Uh, Cause I didn't, I didn't think it was going to happen based on my first experience. Um, but I mean, if the, if there's affinity to the, to the mission, uh, just, you may have to switch up the, the personnel or something, but. Uh, okay. So yeah. w- we cannot blow over some of these details if it's not, <laughs> if it's not uh, too, too confidential. Can you go into what happened with the relationship? Why did he get upset? Why did he agree to see you guys and then curse you out? Was it, was that part of his plan? He wanted to just take out some vengeance. You know, sometimes I think it can just be catching them on a bad day kind of thing. Um, I think so. A lot of this happened before I was introduced to the relationship and the, when the ask was made, everything went great. And uh, we had some of our uh, national leadership there for the ask. And then the follow-up is kind of where it went sour. Uh, the follow-up was not uh, done with the same respect, I think, that he was expecting the follow-up to be done. So when we had our national leaders there for the solicitation and then we follow up uh I think he was expecting those same leaders to be the ones uh, involved in the relationship. And I think that, uh, I think that that is uh, something that uh, his expectations and our expectations didn't match up. And so then it was the, then it was the follow-up to the follow-up because he didn't, he didn't have a a bad reaction at at the first follow-up. Then it was the second one when we came back and I think it, you know, kind of sat with him a little bit longer. And I mean, it was the shortest visit I've ever had. It was, uh, oh, you are with Focus? Well, get the hell out of my office. I never want to talk to you again. I have never been so disrespected. And that's it. And so uh, one of the perks, though, about uh, working for a Catholic organization is uh we have priests as national chaplains. So when we went back to see him, we took uh, a priest with us. So he shows up in his, uh, in his vestments, in his, uh, his collar. And, uh, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was great because uh, I don't think he could have uh, cussed out a priest if he wanted to. And, <laughs> and, uh, but it, just, it definitely helped soften, soften that next meeting. Uh, we went back to see him, though, because... I mean, we still had a solicitation out there that we had. We wanted to uh, get that uh, relationship back, back to good, uh, back to a healthy place because, uh, you know, to, as we were talking about earlier with referrals, people are connected and we don't want to leave a bad relationship out there. And even though I couldn't fix the incident that happened because I, you know, I wasn't involved in it. Uh, I'm able to apologize on behalf of, of people, but uh, just trying to re-engage and uh, show that that isn't the, you know, that was a uh, one-time experience and we're able to recalibrate and address those things that he didn't like. Uh, we we learned from it, we definitely learned from it and are able to address them this time around. So when he decided when he cursed you out of his office, told you never want to talk to you guys again. Can you talk to me about why you decided to follow up some, some from, cause a lot of the reason many people would decide I'm done with that relationship is because it's too painful. It's too, uh, 
it hurts our pride and our ego too much. But I would imagine a large part of the reason you did it is because it's not about what you do at Focus is not about you. It's about the benefactor and it's about the mission. So how, how has that motivated your ability to take rejection like that in your career? Yeah, well, I know that if any benefactor ever says no to any ask that I uh, make, it's never a no to me or uh, I, I try not to take it personally. Uh, and I, I got a lot of experience with that when I was doing my own support raising. When people say no, like that is kind of a little more personal because it is my support raising. But, uh, I, you know, I know that they weren't saying no to me. It was just uh, framing my mind in that way. And so with this gentleman, it was uh, the same thing. Uh, he wasn't mad at me. I knew he wasn't mad at me. I, was, he was, I don't even think he was mad at focus. I think it was more of a situational. He didn't like the situation in the place that we put him in. And, and I knew that that can be changed. I know that like that can be fixed. You know, we can introduce different people to the relationship. We can just uh, cultivate uh, and, and uh, work to, to let him know that we care about him as a person and not as uh, just a benefactor uh, alone. And so that's what we did for the better part of three years. We uh, just went and said, hey, we just want to share with you what we're doing. And uh, we shared things that we knew he'd be interested in. His alma mater was one of them, um, what we were doing um, internationally. And uh, we just kind of continued to just let him know that we are still doing great things. And if, and uh, we always, you know, left the invitation open to re-engage as much as he wanted, but we kind of let make sure that he was in the driver's seat as far as that relationship went, because we knew that it did go bad and sour at one point. And so uh, we wanted to continue to engage him though, because uh, he, he really is and was previously passionate about the mission and knew that we were uh, doing good things. Uh, and so he, I, I knew that uh, I wanted to give him the opportunity to, to still have the impact that uh, he was making before. And so again, this just goes back to me not saying no for him. I'll let him say no if he wants to say no, but I, I just didn't want to have to say no uh, on his behalf. One of the things I love about Focus and one of the reasons I wanted to interview you, Evan, is because you guys have a phenomenal system. Uh, the, the development team is lots of rock stars with probably between the team, like hundreds of years of experience. And y'all do things really well. And a lot of organizations, really small places, they don't have that benefit. And so they don't even know what it would look like, the schedule of visits that would happen with this type of person to repair a relationship. So about how many times over that three-year period did you see this person face-to-face? -face? I think I was in his office. Uh, sometimes I was just dropping stuff off. So it wasn't even like a, a lengthy conversation. I just wanted to drop something off, let him know, here to have a conversation if you want. I think it was about once every four months or so. So about three times a year. Uh, so over the course of, you know, three years, you know, 10 times or so, and almost all of those were just stewardship and, uh, cultivating and growing a relationship, <clears throat> dropping off a Christmas gift with a Christmas card, um, things like that, that were just showing that we cared about him. That's really helpful. Thanks for sharing that with us. What is the worst visit you've ever been on? And you can take that to mean whatever, <laughs> whatever you want. Well, I think the story I shared earlier about the guy uh, cursing us out of his office, that la the visit lasted all of 90 seconds. Might, might be statistically the worst, but the, for me, the one that like still eats me up at night is my very first ever visit by myself. And, oh man, it, and the reason that I, I view this, I don't think the benefactor would necessarily view it as the worst visit, but the reason that I view it as the worst is just because 
I can recognize the mistakes I made. So we met for lunch and, uh, and this is my first ever visit officially on the philanthropy team. So I've done some of my own support raising and stuff like that. This is the first time meeting someone that's a, I've never met, never met me. And through my training um, with focus in uh, philanthropy, we had come up with some golden questions to help foster the conversation to, to kind of uncover some of the things of, you know, does this person have affinity to the organization? Do they have the capacity to make a major gift? And to sum it up, I just, I was a robot in conversation and I'm not normally this way, but I was so uh, concerned about making sure I asked every one of these quote unquote golden questions that it seemed like I was interviewing the guy and not just having a conversation. And I was like, so are you, what, what organizations do you give to? And he would answer, I'm like, how much do you give to them? And, and, and he literally stopped the conversation and said, why do you care about that? Why do you need to know the answer to that? And I didn't have an answer for that one. And I just sat there and I just at the very end of dinner and I was just looking at him and I was like, Oh my God, I, I think I turned beet red. And I just said, you know, I, uh, I just thought I'd, I'd ask and like, Oh, I, I, it was horrible. It was so humiliating for me and humbling for me though. Um, and that's the first ever visit too. like, I, but, uh, he told me, and he's, he's, I'm, and he told me, I asked him for a gift after that, obviously, because I'm, you know, have no idea what I'm doing, right? So I asked him for a gift after he reprimands me for asking questions about his, his giving. And then he told me, How much no. money do you have in your checking account? Yeah. <laughs> and what is, what is the pin number? And <laughs> yeah, I asked him for a gift and uh, I asked him for $5,000. And he said, no, it didn't even pause. He, he, just, it. he said just said no. no. Yep. He said no. And then let the awkward silence hang there as I'm trying to figure out still, what did I just ask him for? And what did I just say? <laughs> and how did we get to this point? And now he said, no, this is not how everything went in training. This is different. And, uh, and so he, he didn't give a gift. And then six months later, he sends in a check for $3,000 and, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was it, apparently he was able to get over how awkward of a conversation it was. And it was a great learning experience though. And it really taught me the, the perfect meeting point between the art and the science of philanthropy. So while there is, these best practices and strategies of here's how you can get answers to questions. And here's how uh, things you can say, you also have to have the art of it, of, of building that conversation of, of being natural, saying those things. And I, I thought I, I had pride. I thought I was natural. I was going to be just natural at those things based on my own talents. And uh, it was, a, it, you know, it was a great first visit for me because it really humbled me in that way. Yeah, I love that story for several reasons. One, there is, for those of you who don't know, Grant Cardone is a uh, social media sales guru. And one of his sayings that I really like is that there's never one thing that you can do to blow a deal. It's the things that you don't do that cause the deal to not go through or for us, the gift to come in. And so keep in mind, there's... Evan has shown us <laughs> there is there is never it's not that you say something you know non eloquently or ask the wrong question in a visit it's that you just don't you don't schedule the visit with the person it's that after you ask you don't follow up it's that once they give a gift you don't uh show them what's happening with the gift it's it's the things that we don't do that cause giving to not happen not the obviously if i mean if you just are purposefully insulting to someone that's tough to get over but but i also like it comes back to evan admits he's like i i made mistakes to the point that the benefactor was weirded out by me 
but it shows that they're not giving because of us. They're giving because of the mission. And so I, I love that story. Good work. Yes. Obviously, I communicated the effectiveness of our mission enough to uh, still get beyond the the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I can't even think of the word now. I said total the damage blank. done from the uh, yeah <laughs> the robotic question asking. And so yeah, I've I'll, gotten better since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's kind of my my next question for you. The the golden questions are wonderful, and you you I, I don't want our listeners to think, oh well, you can't ask those types of questions of a benefactor. But tell me now that you're more advanced in your career, how have you seen those questions used effectively, and and what does that look like? Yeah, I think that knowing some of these key questions, these golden questions, knowing what they are is very important. I find that I rarely ask them as they are just like written on a piece of paper. You know, if, if, if you're trying to find out what their capacity is, asking questions that are more along the lines of uh, building up to getting building up to get to that point uh, are helpful. That this is what I didn't do on my first visit. So saying things like, what other organizations do you like to support? And letting them answer that. And what are your top three favorite organizations to support? And if they're already giving to you and you don't make the top three, then you can assume or guess that that their top three is a level above where they're currently giving to you. Or if you are in their top three, you know that uh, the affinity is really high. And so um, you can ask questions um, like uh, when you make a gift to an organization, what kind of things do you look for or what kind of things are you paying attention to for that organization? And you learn a lot just by asking questions um, that aren't as direct as how much money do you give away? And, uh, and so you're able to, uh, have a conversation more than an interview and both a conversation and an interview are asking questions, but it's the natural flow. And so sometimes the, the, I, in my experience, the benefactor will take the conversation and just kind of keep talking. If you just kind of give them the platform to talk and say, what organizations do you like to support? I've often experienced, they'll tell you how much they support for too, because they just kind of keep talking and the conversation just keeps going. And so I, I have found that it, when having that conversation, just kind of throwing out some of the softballs early on to get that ball rolling and the benefactor to engage in conversation, start talking Uh, I often uncover the answers to those golden questions without ever having to ask them specifically. Yeah, that's really good. And one thing I'll, I'll comment on from, I think you'd agree with me, but that, that first visit you went on when you were just, you were shooting out all the questions and you asked him for a gift. A lot of times at the beginning of our careers, we feel like I got this visit scheduled. It's my one shot. So I got to make sure I, I get everything done and I ask him for the gift no matter what. And we need to remember this is a long-term relationship and you don't, you don't have to force anything. There is no, there is no need to accomplish X in a visit. Um, you, you go there, you serve the benefactor, and if you ask them one question and they start talking and they just keep going on it for three hours and then it's time to leave, that's okay. But you, you've set yourself up for the next visit instead of, I've got to get this done in this visit and I have to ask them for a gift of this size no matter what. Because when we do that, we set ourselves up for awkward, painful situations for everyone involved. <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think kind of along that line, sometimes when I'm talking to people outside of the development and philanthropy world and they ask what I do, I explain what I do. Um, but the way I, I really like to explain is that I'm building relationships on behalf of focus to benefactors. I'm just the, the, 
the person in the middle that helps build that relationship. And with the goal of that relationship becoming a, uh, a gift, a donation at some point. Um, and I think that early on, I kind of viewed it as a, I'm trying to get a gift. And it took a little bit of that experience of the most, the most uh, success I've had are from people that you build a relationship with. Um, and they're going to continue to stay engaged over many years by building a relationship with them and, and, and communicating well. And so I think that that is something that I wasn't putting into practice early on, especially in that first visit. And through my experiences like that, I have since learned that the relationship is why I'm there. Have you ever asked for a gift that was too, too much? Have you ever just asked for a gift that was so high that something negative happened after you did that? Honestly, I've never asked for a gift that was too high and they said no and the relationship soured and it went really negative. I have asked for a gift that was too high and uh, in the relationship had been established for many years and we asked for a gift that was a lot higher than they'd anything they'd given to us, but we knew they had the capacity to give. So in the past they'd given gifts in the 20 to $40,000 range. And we asked for a two and a half million dollar pledge and over five years and knew that they could, and they had given gifts like that in the past to other organizations and we went and made uh, a great ask and they didn't laugh or feel disrespected at all, but they just said that they were not able to make that gift right now. But what we would love to do is we'd love to make a $250,000 pledge, which was still a lot more than anything they'd ever given before. Um, and I think one of the things that I learned in that, through that process and that asking of that gift was they were comfortable giving in that twenty to $40,000 range. And we hadn't asked for a bigger gift. And I don't know what would have happened if we would have asked for 250000 if they would have said, you hit the sweet spots exactly where we wanted to give. Um, but because we had built a relationship with them and they had known that, you know, why we were there and, and uh, that we were asking for a gift, they knew they could, but it just wasn't the right time. And I think that this relationship has the potential to be a two and a half million dollar pledge eventually, um, especially since the conversations already started. And they didn't say no, never. They said it's not the right time. And so that's something that we're going to uh, you know, thank them so much for their amazing gift they've given now. But keep that in mind here in a few years when when uh, we're, we're going to talk about their next pledge. The reason I asked that is because a lot of times people are scared to to ask for for a big number, and I've I've never seen someone ask for a number, and then the benefactor was just like, "How dare you? How dare you think I could want to help in such a huge way or have that much money?" And and so yeah, I mean, if if it's clear that people have significant capacity and they love what you're doing, just ask them and. And what's going to happen is they're usually going to, a lot of times, if they're not going to give what you asked for, they'll give more than what they were previously giving. So my, my next question for you related is, can you think of a time when you asked someone for a gift and they gave more than you asked for? You know, honestly, Kevin, I don't have any stories that uh, someone has given more than I've asked for. I think that all the stories I, I could share are people that had given uh, what I asked for it, or, or less. I don't have any stories in my development experience. Um, sorry, I started to disappoint. No, no. I, I was hoping that you were going to say no one's ever given more than you've asked for because it's one of my, in my experience, people do not give more than they're asked for. I've seen it 
it's never happened to me personally. One development pre- professional I know of has shared a story where she asked for a gift and they wound up giving more, but it's, it's so rare. And it's just, to me, it, it highlights the point that we've got to ask and we've got to ask for something pretty substantial because it's, it's either going to be there or lower. Right. One thing I have, it's not exactly what you were asking uh, about, but one of the experience I have had is, if I go and meet with a benefactor and you know they sign maybe a multi-year pledge or they give their annual gift every year at the same time of year, uh, I've seen additional gifts come in that were unsolicited. They see like you know oh their you know their tax return came in and they wanted to give an additional gift, and so I have seen gifts like that where there are these little bonus gifts, if you will, that aren't to the same capacity as maybe what their pledge is. Um, or maybe we're doing like a little uh, a campaign, like for for us, we have uh, like an advent or a Lent appeal. And so people will engage in those or like National Giving Day, things like that, where they're giving beyond what they've committed to. Um, and I don't think they would necessarily give to those things if they weren't already giving prior. That's helpful. Um, one possibly final question. One of the reasons I love working in major gifts is you just never know what's going to happen on any particular day. And when you go see people, just things happen, funny stuff can happen. Can you think of any stories that are particularly funny or something that happened on a visit that was just kind of out there? Well, it's not a uh, necessarily like a a funny, uh, awkward moment. I've had I've shared plenty of those already. (laughs) I feel like in this conversation, Um, one of the really cool opportunities and uh, experiences I had is there's a benefactor that I will stay with. If I'm staying the night in Austin, they have uh, a guest room and in like a guest house uh, that they let me stay in. And I was staying with them one night uh, just a couple years ago and they're big Houston Astros fans, and they're originally from Houston. And I actually was staying with them on the night the Astros won the World Series, and I got a share in that celebration with them. Which, well, I'm not a I'm not an Astros fan, uh, Kansas City Royals fan here, uh, but that was a really really cool experience being able to uh, just kind of be part of their their life and sharing their joy, and it was really really awesome. That's awesome. I love that. Any other, uh, any other stories you'd like to share or even just some, some inspiration for people out there who are just getting started or have been, been working in the nonprofit world for a long time, but not, not seeing the success that they desire. What I would share is for people to not get discouraged or take it personally. If, you get a no or aren't uh, being as successful as you thought you would be starting out or in any given season or time. Um, I know it's hard uh, to not take it personally because uh, I I want to be successful and I think everybody else wants to, not just for our own success, but for the success of our organization and for the mission that we're passionate about. Um, and I think that it's important to, uh, remember just, to your build relationships. Uh, I had a friend of mine who they're best friends of mine, uh, here in Fort Worth and they are, uh, alumni. They were involved in focus on campus and they know what I do and they know I work for focus, but. Uh, I just wasn't uh, in the position of asking them for a gift at that time. Um, Just, well, you know, didn't want that to come in between our friendship because their time with focus, you know, wasn't like they were, you know, a super passionate attending all of our conferences kind of thing. They had a good experience. It wasn't bad. Um, But I didn't want them to think that my only point in being their friend was, for uh, a donation. And so this never came up. And um, 
And then one day they said, Hey, we want to meet with you and about fundraising. And, uh, and I was kind of shocked to be honest with you. And I met with them and I, you know, told them about, you know, how focus is going to use their gift. And, uh, and I asked them for a gift and they gave a monthly gift. Um, it was something they said that they were surprised I hadn't asked them or invited them to go on mission with us in fundraising. And as you know, kind of like reflecting on it myself, I uh, didn't give them the opportunity to engage with us in a fundraising type of relationship to uh, engage them more in our mission. And I think that was a little bit of a, 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 some, a learning opportunity for me to not invite people on mission through philanthropy. Uh, and, uh, and so I would say like never again, what I would, uh, what this taught me was to not say no for someone, never say no for uh, anyone that might be a suspect or a prospect or even a close friend or family member and to give them the opportunity to engage because that's all we can do. I'm not smart enough to make someone give a gift they can't give. I don't have that ability, um, but I can provide them the opportunity to make that gift. Well, thank you for sharing that story, Evan. I think that's that's really important because a lot of people who do not uh, – kind of have major gifts in their DNA, they feel like, how could I go to a close friend and ask them to give money to the organization I work for? And that is what you've shared, the complete opposite attitude of what your close friends want. If what your organization is doing is meaningful to them, what they're thinking to themselves is, why in the world is my friend not letting me help with this? Why are they, why are they denying me the opportunity to do something meaningful with my wealth? Because, because that's what it is. And I, it, it really, this is a, I thank you for sharing this because this is a, a passion of mine is, I mean, when I see people and it's just like, well, I can't go to my friends. They're my friends. It's like, no, like they're not your friends. If you, if you refuse to go ask them present them with an opportunity to do something that could be extremely meaningful to them. I mean, depending on what you do, if it's focus and it's evangelization and there are souls on the line and you have someone who cares deeply about that and you're just like, well, sorry, you can't help. That is, that is a shame. So thank you for sharing that story. I love that. And, uh, just thank you so much for being on the show, Evan, sharing all your your wonderful stories and your experience. And I think people are going to really get a lot out of this. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Kevin. It was really awesome being here and being a part of your podcast. If you need any more learning experience stories or uh, learning from your mistakes, I have plenty of those. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll talk soon. Thanks, thank Evan. Thank you. That was Evan Wilsoncroft with Focus. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can like One Visit Away on Facebook and connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, on LinkedIn. If you really want to help the show grow, please personally share this episode with other development professionals. I hope Evan's words brought a smile to your face and encouraged you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from being cursed out of someone's office and eventually receiving a significant gift for your organization.